Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I'm here with Jardina London. Thank you for taking time out of your morning. So happy to be here, Dave. And we've occupied similar realms, but at different times. It's like there's this weird connection thing where we never quite sync up. So it was really great to finally meet you this morning. I think we're actually the same person. You're my alter ego. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we're going to talk about the, the new thing that you're building. We're going to talk about the thing that you've already, the work that you've already done, but kind of easing our way into that, would you mind introducing yourself to the folks that are watching and listening? Sure. Um, Jardina London. I am mostly a business agility consultant, but I do various things. I just mix them all into my big cauldron of stuff. Um, I was a techie. I was a programmer. I ran a software company for a long time, but then I realized the problem really, the problems I wanted to solve were not in the software. They were in between the people. So I got into agile and then more into just creating better organizations. Okay. So that was a really interesting part of the book, um, which we should mention the title of in a second, but your focus on just acknowledging that it's not process. It's it's actually the connection that where everything goes sideways. It's that in-between that always bites you. Yeah. yeah. And the book is? Cultivating Transformations, A Leader's Guide to Connecting the Soulful and the Practical. All right. And if you're watching this, I screwed that up three times. So that was my bad. Um, all right. So this is a book about agile transformation or how, how would you explain it? To you someone? know, it's really transformation. Okay. And it's about transformational leadership. Um, you know, I do use a lot of agile examples because that's my world, yeah. but it is about how to successfully lead a trans like a transformational effort, a transformational initiative. Okay. And you talk about uh in the book that there's three different, I guess, levels that mm -hmm. this occurs at. Um go ahead, do you mind? Yeah. So as leaders, we have to think about ourselves, uh the me, that how am I affecting the world around me. So really getting grounded in ourselves. So the me, the we, and the system. So okay. it's me, myself, how I affect other people, and then what system am I building that's supporting all of those folks? That really resonated with me because in my classes, I always talk about how like, if you're there as a, as a coach or a scrum master, it's, it's not just the team, it's each individual team member abandoning, like for me as a PMP, abandoning everything I knew and learning to accept a different way and then work with other people who are struggling with the same thing in an organization that was designed to not let us do what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So you do have to affect the system, but you can't really tackle the system until you have mastered yourself yeah. and others. But it's like the self, the me part is like the butterfly effect, right? As soon as you walk into a room, you're impacting it. Right? Okay. So you have to really, or a virtual room, whatever it is. Yeah, so you really, yeah. ha you really do have to understand how you are impacting the world around you. Okay. So I would like to use that as a bridge to get to the idea of soulful and how, if I was going to show up either virtually or in person, I want to be an authentic soulful version of myself. So what does that mean to you? Cause you explained that people had a lot of different interpretations of the word. Yeah. When I first started using the word soulful, um, I got some questions like, is it religious? Is it, is it spiritual? Is it, is it diversity? Um, it's sure. Yes. If that's what it is for you. But really what I mean is just being authentic is just being able to bring not just your whole self to work, but your whole, like what's inside you. Yeah. So, and I use the word soul instead of happy because happy or joy, which are wonderful things, but we're just not joyful all the time. Like bad things happen in the world and, that's okay. And we should be able to like 
feel those emotions and yeah. it should be fine and not have to pretend that we're happy. That's awesome. I, I, yeah. There was a part of me that was like, when I read Soulful, I was just thinking of Sam and Dave in the back of my head singing. I was like, this is great. This is a great user. But I think maybe all of the things, all the different layers of the way people could interpret Soulful combined are yeah. what create that that sense of who you are when you get there. Yeah. Bad, like the whole, you bring the whole show. Yeah, it's the whole thing. It's all of you. And I think that um, the subtitle, Connecting the Soulful and the Practical, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote that when I wrote the book and it is always important to me, but it has become more and more important since, to me, even since I wrote that down, um, because it really is, it really has been treated as two different things where it's, we get business results over here and we do some team building over there. And it's like yeah. two different things. And it's the soft skills and the hard skills. They're not different. They directly impact each other. So I am a big believer in building structures, building, getting business results for soulful reasons right? and, and vice versa, right? Because being able to support your family is a soulful thing. So yeah. these two things, I just really want them to be much more connected. Okay. And there's, I think, at least when I was looking through the book, there's a hint of, Brene Brown-ish type stuff in that, which I was really excited to see because I love, I love her work, mm-hmm. but sometimes I have trouble connecting it at work. And ever since that one episode of Mythic Quest, I'm afraid to even talk about it at work. So I don't know that episode. Uh, David, the manager, was he was talking about Brene Brown, and it was done in a way that it made it look like if you read Brene Brown, you're like you're like David, the manager. Um, oh, oh, okay. So. Well, so, yeah, so I was a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. I did study under Brene Brown, so I do love the work. But I do feel like what was missing from the work, and she attempts, she makes some attempts at it. It's very personal, the work. It's the me. It's all the me and a little bit of the we. But the system is not there. So I tried to take that Brene Brown work into the system level. Okay. So I want to explore that. I'm going to start at the personal level, though. So mm-hmm. when I think about what you just said, I'm thinking that if I'm on a team and we're going through some aspect of transformation in our organization, whatever kind it is, um, there are days and times when that's really hard for everybody. It's hard for us to get along. It's hard for us to figure it out. We don't feel supported by the organization. And mm-hmm. that's got to be okay. We ideally we could make it okay for us to be struggling and not feel like, Oh, we can't be struggling or we have to just instantly fix this. Right. 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 And then, Oh, good. No, no, no. Go ahead. Extending that out to the organization. We have to create a space where it's okay for us to say, you know what? Yeah, we can't, we don't know how to do this. We don't have the muscles for this in our organization right now. We have no practice. Everything we have here is set up to fight against this. And it's going to suck, but we're going to work through it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So there's a difference between hard work and frustrating lack of agency type of work. Okay. Right? So as long as we have, we can build some channels, we can see some possibilities, we can try different things. We're all good. We can work hard. Yeah. It's when the rugs pulled out from under you and you feel like you don't have agency to ever make any of those changes. That's when it's not soulful, right? That's when the organization is doing things and you say, Oh, well, I don't, that's above my pay grade. I can't affect that at all. Yeah. So as long as there's a possibility or a channel, we can be frustrated all day long. 
So it's when you just said soulful there, I was thinking that the, in this context, the opposite of it would be soulless. Yeah, soulless. So you can create or an organization can sometimes appear that way if it's just that everything's supposed to happen and you're supposed to suck it up and do it. I mean, like the worst version yeah. of Taylorism. So when people ask me why, you know, what I mean by soulful, which I get that a lot, I, I do think it's easier to think about the opposite because we do say okay. soulless, soul sucking, soul yeah. crushing, like all those words, we know what those mean. So the opposite of that is soulful. Okay. So, right. Yeah. The extreme Taylorism. Sure. Okay. So where you have no agency, you just yeah. do what you're told and, you know, and I've, you know, I have so many examples of this, but there's so many organizations where, um, like people get budget and then they, and they're, uh, performance and they're going to be judged on the performance of getting work done. And then they don't have, they can't get people to work on it because of hiring freezes or whatever yeah. policies and things, procurement. And so you have the money and you have the goal, but you can't get the work done. And that's endlessly frustrating. And yeah. that's, you know, lack of agency. I mean, I'm working with a place right now where I'm trying to teach them to do scrum at a team level, but these teams are, work is committed for them at the quarterly level that they don't understand. That's much too much to do. And then they're told you have to do it all by the end of the quarter, but don't overcommit in any sprint and you have to meet your commitment. It's like, you can't have both at the same mm -hmm. time, but mm -hmm. they're told that that's what they're supposed to do, which is takes it right back to the me level, right? I can't do that in this organization. I can't thrive. So I'm going to like, just go into shutdown defense mode. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I hear people a lot of times, it, it's, I hear a lot of agilists say, well, I don't want to go work anywhere where they're not ready for me. And so it depends on your job, of course. But if you're a transformational leader, yeah, of course, they're not ready for you. That's why you're there. So uh, Christopher Avery says, you know, do you only want to transform people, who, uh, organizations who don't need it? I mean, you, it, it, there is a little bit of, um, you're putting yourself into a frustrating situation. Yeah. Knowing that that's your job to change it. And knowing that you're I'm, now I've got Christopher Avery in the back of my head, which if anybody doesn't know who Christopher Avery is, you need to go read his books. <laughs> yeah. Like the, um, the responsibility process is really. Yeah. You show up. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, people that do have that soulless place to work. You're the one that chooses to show up every day. So you got to own that. Maybe you've got a reason for it. I got to feed my family, like you said, or whatever it is. Um, nobody's making you do that. Right. But here's the showing up thing. So here's the, the soulful thing. If you're working in a soulless place and maybe you don't have the ability to change the thing you'd like, um, what can you bring to bring soul into that environment? I mean, okay. you might bring a spark of joy to the people around you. You might bring like some hope or possibility or open up new possibilities. Like there's something you can bring to that, that yeah. because even in a toxic environment, um, just because the company's toxic, that doesn't mean that people deserve to be in that environment. Yeah. Right. So I think that we, if we can't heal the company, we can still heal the people. So it's, it's interesting the way you said that, because I think about it in a slightly different way, which is when I am in a toxic environment and when I can remember to have the presence of mind to think about this or any kind of negative situation. It's what there's got to be something I can learn here. There's something I can get from this. There's some benefit. Like I, I go into like a very me kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I have to have something that I can walk out of this with some reason to withstand this suck for a little while um, so that I come out better on the other end. And maybe I can help 
other people with that as well. But yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and that, that agreed. And that healing is really so necessary in so many places mm-hmm. that if you look for a place that doesn't need any healing, you'd be looking for a while. <laughs> and it'd be really boring when you got there. <laughs> and there, there would be nothing to do, right? There'd be no, yeah. you'd have to have a different job. So you talk about healing an organization. I'm curious. Can you just explain that a little bit? Because I understand helping people recover from the trauma of the other places they've worked or helping the team recover the trauma from the trauma of working in the organization. But mm. an organization that doesn't know that it needs help, how do you help them see that and recover from that? Yeah. So they know something, right? They know some symptom is happening. Okay. So, um, and sometimes the, the pain is the past, right? There's pain, there's just baggage that they have. And sometimes, you know, the story about the monkeys, like maybe Mm -hmm. none of those people even worked there when that pain happened, but it's been passed on. The trauma has been passed on through the organization. So I think looking at the symptom of like, what do they think they want and why and what's blocking it is really key to being able to heal from some of that past trauma. And I think that, yeah, it's not just the people, it's not, again, it's not just the individuals. There's a systemic healing that needs to be that needs to happen and i wrote an article for the business agility journal about um that you really can't do transformation until you have healed that festering wound so it really you really do need to at least acknowledge it sometimes that's all it takes right just acknowledging the the pain and to be able to move on because no one's even actually said it out loud in some of these organizations but that is a scary thing i mean for any individual, there's some dysfunction stuff, like you're willing to be like, yeah, that, that's true. But the other stuff you're so busy denying without even realizing it, that even if somebody holds up the mirror, you may not be ready to see it, which is a lot of the companies we show up at. Yeah, absolutely. So I have to just say here, I've sounded woo woo so far, and I'm not a therapist. Like there are people who specialize in organizational therapy. So maybe we need to call them. But all I can say is that we can identify that as a necessary step. I mean, I have some facilitation skills to bring some of this out, but at some point, like you need to get a real expert in there. Okay. So are there actually organizational therapists? I don't even know. Is that a thing? That should Uh, be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know some folks who do that. Yeah. (laughs) Like the whole place is going to go to therapy. Um, Well, it's systemic therapy though. It's like, it's the therapy of the system. Okay. Can you give an example of that? Um, I gave the example I talk about in the book, I think, um, yeah, was this example where I was at a very large company and there was just this constant conflict between uh, finance and product, right? So product Uh wanted to launch, finance wasn't ready. And it was like this constant back and forth. And when I came in, they were like, it's been a problem for years. We're just going to keep launching products and then they'll just pile up at finance's door and then they won't get launched. And I was like, and then like, and they blame them afterwards and we can blame them. But I was like, and we're going to all go out of business. Like the company's going to go out of business or like what's the plan there? And that, I mean, that just needed to be like acknowledged. We like, why is it important to launch new products? Why is it important to have finance? How can, and there were some just regular work management strategies to fix that. Right. But that was a pain and no one was acknowledging the fact like this is a pretty big deal. <laughs> so the people forget why they're there, or why the company or the company forgets why it's there. It becomes all about, it's like a, a holiday dinner at a, 
bad dysfunctional family. Well, it's yeah, dysfunctional family picnic. So, you know, there was a lot of times I see this. I just had a conversation recently with a client where there was this wonderful person doing jobs like many of us do, well, like a project manager type thing, where he was trying to uh, be the liaison or the diplomat between two organizations. And he said to me, he said, well, I think I can get, you know, what group A wants enough to make them happy and what group B wants. And I said, what does the company want? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not about this. That's the pain of that. We're working across purposes yeah. forever. And, you know, that's painful. Now, there's worse pain, right? There's pain of yeah. prior on like um, unethical things that have happened mm-hmm. or, you know, bad things that are in the company's history or firings and hirings, you know, like there's yeah. all the bad stuff that can happen. <laughs> And some of that stuff you probably, I mean, maybe you can't even recover from. It's just, a, it's a part of our history that we have to just accept and try to move on from. But acknowledging it is yeah. really helpful. So that person that you talked about that's doing the kind of mediation or, or trying to smooth things over, and which is a very noble thing, but at the same mm-hmm. time, really just fostering dysfunction because they're enabling it even further. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, a lot of people who are trying to help an organization transform end up in that place because it's like the best they can do for right now. Um, but maybe not, maybe they're trying to, you know, do things at a grander scale. Um, they need help. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so this is the segue into the new thing. Oh, the community. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> And so that's why transformation, so I think we've alluded to, but let's hit the nail on the head here. <laughs> Transformational leadership is hard. Yeah. I, I started this, you know, I wrote the book because I had done a talk called um, How to Lead a Transformation Without Getting Fired. And it's not uncommon, right? Because you're fighting the status quo, maybe your boss, maybe your boss's boss, and you're telling them that they're doing things wrong, sort of. And it it's just, it doesn't always end well for the yeah. messenger. The, the messenger gets shot. So being able to do that with some tact is important. That's why I wrote the book. But the community is there for us to all support each other. So we can talk about strategies and tactics tactics of doing the work, but we can also support each other in just like, this is hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. I mean, there was one place I worked where one of the questions that you had to answer every week was, what did you do to try to get fired this week? Because we were expected to be such severe irritants in the organization that if you weren't pissing people off, you weren't you weren't pushing hard enough. That's awesome. I worked with a transformation. It's awesome leader. if you know you're going to yeah. get sent to another client when you get fired from that right. place. <laughs> right, right. Well, I worked with a transformational leader once who said, um, "On any given day, I don't know if I'm going to get fired or promoted." Yeah. <laughs> and it was like I was like, "That's perfect. That's exactly what you should be doing." And I don't think it's woo to say that that's a very unstable place to live. I mean, if that's you, you know, cause that, that is true. You're not really sure how, what you say is going to hit if they're going to respond to it. And there's lots of practical, tactical information about how the stuff we do works, but mm-hmm. it's scary to be out on that ledge. Well, and that's why we can build, that's why the community and the book and my upcoming training course, stay tuned, will is really to build those skills needed to do the best you can there, right? I mean, diplomacy and tact are important things in this job. It's not just about, we talk about truth teller and disruptor. 
you need to have some diplomacy and tact yeah. in order to be a truth teller. You can't just be from Brooklyn. <laughs> Joking. Yeah. I'm a New Yorker originally, but it's not just about saying it. It's about saying it effectively. Yeah. And that's, I'm assuming that you agree with this. I, I think of that as occurring on many levels. So I have to be able to do it at a personal level mm -hmm. and, and provide I guess, support for myself in the same way that I have to provide it for the organization because it's transformation all up and down the food chain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, the transformational leadership job will, you, it will kick your, kick your ass and you'll learn a ton about yourself. I mean, that's why self-awareness is the first chapter in the book because get like continually getting that self-awareness is key. But yeah. what is Brene Brown says, say, and I think she's quoting somebody else when she says, the truth will set you free, but first it'll kick your ass. <laughs> like, yeah. It is, you really do have to evolve and evolve fast. So how do you, how do you recommend people? I'd like to talk about how people can get started with that on a personal mm -hmm. level, but then talk about, which I think, you know, when Christopher Avery says, when you start to read the responsibility process, you have to stop yourself from applying it to everyone else. <laughs> Once you start looking at yourself, the, the next thing is, well, the, the company, they're the ones that are really screwed up. Um, how can you be tactful and thoughtful in approaching it with the organization? Well, I think um, looking at where there's opportunity. So um, Aaron Dignan in the, great, mm -hmm. the Brave New Work talks about the adjacent possible. So I think that's where a lot of transformational leads uh, trip up is that okay. they they take a step too far that people aren't ready for. So looking at what, if you're on that little stepping stone path, mm -hmm. uh, what is that next stepping stone that's available and helpful and will heal the pain and will help uh, people be more successful or whatever the case, whatever they're looking for. Yeah. That's the next step. It's not the step five steps out that you can see because there's no, right. There's, there's no honor in crashing and burning because you can see into the future. It yeah. doesn't help. And I see so many transformational specialist leads, whatever, fall into that trap of trying to recommend something that's just too far of a leap at that point. For that person or that For that company. organization, yeah. yeah. And I know, I give, I give the example, I think, in the book of a consultant that came in and was like, you need to limit your whip. I mean, this was an organization where the culture was, you know, being able to do a lot of things at once. Like that yeah. was valued. And this was, it just, it just weren't there. And the person tried to convince me that he was right. I'm like, I know you're right, but they're not, We're not there. ready. Yeah. <laughs> and he was there for one day. <laughs> well, that's hard though. And, and I think it also, I, there are certain things where I can do that. I can see, I can see where someone is and say, okay, well, can you just try to do this and see what happens? But there's other topics. Like when I try to talk to people about personal Kanban, I mean, I go right to, I've been doing it for like 15 years. So I go right to the very end of it, which they don't need. They just want to get their, their work done. Um, yeah. I think yeah. in, in enthusiasm for having found a solution for a problem we have, we often push it on other people without letting them find their own path to it, which agile coaches do all the time. The curse of the newly converted, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the zealot that is, you, you do have to sort of temper that. <laughs> Yeah, right? that's the we that is really sensing and feeling. And that's there's a soulful thing there of like who, ha you know, it's funny. Agilists say we say meet them where they are and then we never do it. 
<laughs> so that's the meeting them where they are. Like, where are they? Yeah. So how is your the community that you're fostering going to support that? Like, well, first of all, what what are you calling the community? We should probably do that. Oh, the transformational leadership community. We, okay. you know, I went, I tried to find a clever name, but this is self explanatory. So <laughs> that's okay. what it's called. Um, and yeah, so it will be um, at least the free initial launch is just to have a place to collaborate with each other on the challenges we're facing. We'll put, you know, we have a lot of prompts about things from the book, how, you know, how they're resonating with you. So we can have some discussion about that. We'll have some live sessions with me just talking about doing deeper dives into some of the topics. Okay. And, you know, things that you would expect to find in a community, but also it's really about supporting each other through this, through this work. And the other piece there too, is this is an undefined field. Like Mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of people with this title now, but you know, what, who has defined what this is. So I'm yeah. attempting to put some kind of boundary or definition around what this job means and how, and what the competencies are to, to succeed in it. Okay. So on the competency side, you know, I know you've been very careful about, you know, you say you don't want to be too woo woo with it, but all the tactical stuff, I think people gravitate towards that because it's all there. I mean, people have already like, it's easy to say, this is what a point was supposed to be. This is why it's not this, or this is why this practice works and this one doesn't. But Mm -hmm. the other part of it, the part where you're venturing into, which I think people are scared of, we've not really talked about that. And those are competencies like emotional intelligence, social engineering, understanding how to interpret all the, all the stuff that project managers used to call soft skills. as well as helping companies and people cope with trauma and things like that. Those are the things that were harder that I think we blew off because it was easier to talk about how long a sprint was supposed to be. Yeah. But how long a sprint is supposed to be has a soulful purpose, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. none of these things operate in isolation. But I think just even asking the question of, and I have this five steps to soul, which you can download. I'll give you the link for your show. Oh, cool. Um, But asking the question with the first question of the five steps is what was the original soulful purpose of this? Mm -hmm. And just thinking, or or where is the pain? Where, where did we lose the connection to soul? Because everything has a soulful purpose had anyway, we just lose it. Yeah. I think so. John Cutler, one time I did an interview with him, we were talking about his sprint and he said, if you were going to hire a sprint to do a job at your company, what is the sprint's job? And I think that question with the question that you just asked together could be a really, it could change the way that we look at all the stuff we're doing and, and maybe help people get out of that, just do the thing this way kind of mindset. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What's the, what's the soulful job to be done? Oh, there you go. Wow. (laughs) That's nice. Um, So I think there's a part of my brain that's a little skeptical about it because it's just a little bit fields of dreamy, but um, people need help with this. And we were also talking before about something you said in another interview where you referred to being a trans, I think you called it a transformationalist as being a calling. Yeah. And I'm wondering, because I feel that way about the job that I have. um, And sometimes I talk about it with people. Oh, my light just went out. And they look at me like I'm on crack. So when you say it's a calling, what do you mean by that? I guess folks who want to lead transformations or be transformational leaders, um, 
it's a hard job. There are easier jobs. There are easier ways to make money. But yeah. folks who want to do this have uh, are compelled to do it. They're pulled towards it. Um, they they these are folks that want to be a disruptor or be a truth teller. There's some kind of inner inner drive to do that. Um, sometimes when I hear people say, I, I want to go be the transformation lead because that's a stepping stone for my career. I'm like, Ooh, that's maybe not your best move if that's what your goal is. But folks that are that really, by pissing people off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You're not going to make, you may not make friends. You may, you might yeah. get fired. So if it's a calling for you, and I think it's a necessary role for folks to play in the world, yeah. then we're here to support you. And Dave, okay. I'll just add this one. The other thing about the calling. So like for me, pers- everyone has a different calling. But for me personally, yeah. I we spend a lot of time at work. And when we work in a dysfunctional way, and that's typical, like most of us work eight hours a day in a toxic environment or in a dysfunctional environment, that affects the rest of our lives yeah. and our society and our world. And I don't mean to make something big about this, but if this is how we're behaving most of our waking hours, what does that say about the rest of the world? Yeah. So if we can fix it 1%, it's huge. Yeah. I feel like I've, I had a conversation about this with my wife yesterday. So I feel like I need to create safety for some other people. There are people I know who their calling is not about work. It is mm-hmm. their family or their band or whatever they're doing. And, and work is a means to that end. And that's totally but, fine. And that's totally fine. But <laughs> for a bunch of us, like, I always ask the question, like, if you wake up sick at three o'clock in the morning with the flu, why can you still not wait to get to work? Like, you, it, it's, it's the thing that gets you up to go do that every day because you get to change the world or change, help one person or do whatever it is. You know, Dave, I went through a lot of periods of soul searching in my life. <laughs> and through a lot of those... I came back to the same job, but I came back to the same job for a different reason, right? Or with a different sort of inner drive Yeah. because I, because I think you can fulfill your purpose in any job, maybe, maybe not any, but in many jobs, right? Cause your purpose isn't to do the work. Your purpose is to, is deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's not about the job that it is. It's about why you're there. Okay. So like and, there's there's lots of movies about this. I can't even think of one off the top of my head, but where it's, uh, you know what? There's a great Disney video. I'll put it in. I'll give it to you for the show notes okay. um, called Inner Workings. And he has a really boring, boring job. It's just a little short. Um, right. He has a really boring, boring job with all boring people doing data entry. It's just over and over. And he like by the end of the video, spoiler alert, he brings joy to the people doing it. Yeah. Right? They, they dance, they do, they play music. It's nice. So it's not about the job. It's about what you bring to it, how you show up, how you, and, show and up. also I think how you see your role. Like there's that story about the guy at NASA who swept floors that said he helped put men on the moon. Um, how you, yeah, it's, I think John Kennedy asked the guy about what he did and he said he put put men on the moon. He, he cleaned up the workspace so yeah. that the people that put men on the moon could put men on the moon. Um, yeah. And I think that that's a big part of it too, is how we frame it. And so if you're, if you're working in, in any kind of organizational transformation, I, for me, I, I feel like nine days out of 10, I'm just banging my head against the wall. But the one day that I'm not, the one day where I say something and I can see it create a change, like that's pretty rewarding. Mm-hmm. But I have to walk into it every day with the expectation, I feel like I do, the expectation that I'm throwing seeds at the ground and I never know what's gonna happen because I won't be there when it happens. 
Oh, I love that. So that is so true. I want all your listeners to remember that. You never know. You may never know that your seed grew. So that, because how many times has that happened to you? It's happened to me so many times where I'll find out years later and someone will say, you know, you changed my life that one day. And I'm like, I did. And if I I don't even remember that day, if I didn't run into you at Walmart, okay, I don't shop at Walmart, but if I didn't run into you at Target, (laughs) um, I wouldn't have known that. You might never know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so this community will, will be able to offer support, not just from a practices standpoint, but also kind of working through that, deepening the skills that are not the more readily available ones, maybe? Yeah, yeah, okay. right. And making you feel like you're not alone. A lot of folks in this job are, they're more, it's more common now to have people with transformational job titles, but a lot of times you're the only one. Yeah. And so this gives you peers of other people doing your work, facing the challenges you are. It's hard on the soul. I mean, yeah. it is, it is, what did you say? It's a beat down. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And I think it's it's really important. Like there's one community that I'm a part of that I show up no matter how tired I am, no matter how broken I feel, because I know it doesn't even matter what we're doing. I just know that a half an hour with that group of people, um, it's like somebody pumped me full of air again. Um, yeah. Because they care about the stuff. I guess maybe this for me, this is one of the main things. They care about the stuff I care about the same way I care about it. Oh. They hold it as dear as I do. So uh, and it's okay for me to embarrass myself in front of them or to say whatever, because I know that we're all aimed at the same thing, mm. which is a big part of this. If you're doing this kind of work, you need yeah. people that are aware of the fact that we're all struggling through it together. Yeah. That's the psychological safety. So um, yeah. I talk about it in the book, but I will just share with you. There's Tim Clark's talk talks about psychological safety being or innovation needing high social secure, uh, social, social security, social safety, right? Like that. I'm not going to laugh at you or think you're a jerk or, you know, make fun of you or whatever, make you belittle you. So there's that social, um, safety, but really high intellectual friction. So I still, I still need to be able to, right. They, we we always say like, let's, we should be able to debate ideas without getting upset. That's why, because I can disagree with you without making you feel like you're an idiot. Yeah. Who's right? that? Like, who's that you're it's referring? Tim Clark. It's the book is psychological okay. safety. It's what he writes about. Oh, okay. Um, and it's in, I, I reference it in my book too, but okay. that I thought was so brilliant because it's, it doesn't mean everyone gets a trophy. It doesn't mean we agree on everything. Yeah. It means you're not going to be an outcast and I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. See, and I guess I feel like with my Philly upbringing that you have to be able to mock people, but there's still a safety. If that's part of the culture, then yeah. I mean, that's not, that's not out of the question. I'm just, just making a joke about it. Um, All right. So you just went live, right? Yep. And where can people come to find out more about this? Yep. So you can go to uh, cultivatingtransformations.com and find a link there. And it's, uh, you can jump right into the community. It's free. So just sign up and join in. Okay. And I highly recommend the book, Cultivating Transformation. You're in your second edition now, right? We did uh, some slight tweaks to it, yes. New okay. cover, new layout. It's available in Spanish now. And nice. oh, I will also just plug myself here. The book just won a Nautilus Award, which awesome. is books for a better world. So it's that soulfulness there. Who thought? I mean, in high school, I would have been the least likely to 
write a soulful book, right? <laughs> a book with soulful in the title. That's what I was voted. But maybe, <laughs> maybe that's exactly why it's so important because your background is tech and programming and things like that. And math. Yeah, I was a math major, computer science. And, and you need, we need a balance there. And I think the business world is so heavily focused on the soulless that they forget about the soulful part. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the people who struggle more because um, we figure it out uh, are able to communicate better than someone who it comes naturally to, right? Like I wanted okay. to have a job where I didn't have to talk to anybody. That was the job. I, I wanted to be a programmer because I didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. And then like now I'm now here. You I realize am. why you need. So maybe that's also another thing is the stuff that we're running away from is the stuff that we probably need the most. That's very interesting too. Yeah. <laughs> so what are right, one last question? What is the one thing in the book that to you is like the secret hidden thing that people don't always notice? There's a lot of secret hidden things, but I think um, one of the things that I do, maybe I'll call out here is resonance. So frequency, okay. re resonance and frequency. So thinking about how you are resonating, we talked about showing up, but mm -hmm. when you think about resonance, like as a wavelength, the more wavelengths you can transmit on, the more okay. people will resonate with you, right? So okay. thinking about like, are you a record scratch <laughs> or are you you know, some yeah. kind of harmony and thinking about, uh, I used to have a friend who would say, are you transmitting on multiple colors in the spectrum or is it just huh. purple? Cause if you just transmit purple, all the purple people will understand and, and resonate with you. But if, yeah. the more you can broaden that spectrum, the more you can resonate across the board. So just thinking about like, how can I expand my resonance? So that is really interesting because I I'm a communications major and oh. I always think about or I was I always think about how everything about me when I show up is communicating my the way I'm standing my voice the way I'm dressed the things I say how many expletives fall out of my mouth by accident like all of that and I know that every signal I transmit comes with a certain amount of noise mm -hmm. so maybe not just I have to be aware of the signal and the resonance at the same time. Yeah. All the frequencies and how much they are maybe it'd be like a record that was poorly mixed. If the stuff is too muddied, you can't hear what's actually going on. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting that you're a communications major. I would love to get more uh, feedback from you on that. <laughs> we can do that when we come back and talk about the Tao Te Ching and the art of war and how that all ties into this stuff. Yeah, we have a whole that's a whole thing. I have to finish yeah. those 88 verses. <laughs> cool. I, I only did all like right. 12. <laughs> So can you explain what that is? And then and then we'll, I'll ask for your contact. Stuff. Sure, sure. I used to have a blog and it's all still up there. That was a daily cartoon um, about work with with a blog attached with something about work. And so we did a series called the Tune to Ching, which was basically taking the verses of the Tao to Ching and pairing it with a cartoon and then applying some of the lesson in that verse to our work lives. And I think we got about 12 or 15 of them, but maybe we need to pick those up. It's a very cool idea, though. It's really good stuff. And they can find all that where? Um, on any of my websites, rosettaagile.com, jardinalondon.com, and then, of course, cultivatingtransformations.com, which focuses on the book. Okay. And they can also find you on LinkedIn? Yes. LinkedIn is a great place to follow because that's where I post any recent articles. So, yeah, please connect to me on LinkedIn, Jardina London. you'll be able to find your threads link there. Absolutely. And there's no other 
Jardina London's or really Jardina's. So well, I, <laughs> I was going to say this, whenever I've heard people talk about you, I didn't even know what your last name was until this morning because people just say Jardina and I'm like, oh yeah, it's like Prince. Yeah. It's like- yeah. <laughs> Madonna. So, <laughs> Someone said awesome. to me once, oh, you're like Cher or Madonna. And I was like, in what possible <laughs> way? <laughs> and he was like, well, you only need one name. And I was like, oh, because I can't sing <laughs> yeah. and I can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was awesome. Um, I appreciate the work that you're doing for the community, too, for all of us that need um, the assistance with the things we don't either know or admit we need assistance with. Yeah, so, I hope to see you all there. I would yeah. love it. Cool. All right. And um, so I'll put all links to your stuff. Plus, you're going to send me the links for the things we talked about. They can pick up your book, Cultivating Transformations, at Amazon or any place where fine books are sold. Correct. All right. Thank you very much for making right. time for this. Wonderful. Thank you, Dave. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need. My job's to make that switch from old to